Hey, I'm Chef Nicole Dursaway with The Martha Project, and I'm with So Slow Vegan. Hey everybody, this is Sean Russell, founder of the SoFlow Vegans Podcast, and welcome to the season seven finale of our show. And we are excited to introduce our guest for the finale. We have Chef Nicole Dursway, who not is not only a celebrity chef, but also the founder of the nonprofit the Martha Project. So on this episode, we, of course, go over her vegan origin story. She shares a moment from the heart at the end of the episode, just titled it. And you'll, if you've listened to past episodes, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. But we also talk about the houselessness crisis. We talk about just generally some tips and, and information about being vegan. So if you're new to veganism or you have a family member or whatever the case is you're going to gain a lot of cool insight from this episode so tune in all the way to the end to hear what's going on with SoFlow vegans how you can become a part of all of the exciting things we have going on and so much more and a little taste of what might be to come for season eight which is coming around the corner real soon so check it out and we'll see you after the interview Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I'm your host, Sean Russell. And today we have Nicole Dursway from the Martha Project joining us. And we're so excited to speak with you. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to dropping in and talking with you. So we have a tradition here at the SoFlow Vegans podcast where we like to know a little bit more about your origin story. How did you start your journey, your plant-based journey? So what, how did that look for you? Well, I always tell people I'm like the most unlikely vegan uh, and that, thank goodness, I went vegan because I ate a lifetime allotment of bacon by the time I was seven. I was just a crazy child. Um, But yeah, you know, the reason why I came to veganism and I got here is um, my grandma, uh, who actually taught me how to cook um, before I had trained professionally at the Cordon Bleu. She's from the South and she's, she's from Savannah, Georgia. She's my favorite person. And I love her so much. And once I was in high school, she started struggling with cancer. And, um, you know, this is really heartbreaking for me. And I kind of wanted to try to help her, you know, the first one and the second one, I was kind of like, man, maybe we're not doing something right. And I started researching and one case study led to another case study to this place in Mexico doing this hallelujah, hallelujah diet and, and all this stuff. And I started learning um, that y- you could reduce inflammation in the body and uh, prevent and help reverse um, almost all the major diseases that are kind of afflicting us and um, definitely cancer. So um, I started presenting this uh, lifestyle uh, to my family, to my, to my grandmother um, in hopes to heal her. And Although the journey started out for her, there was so much that I had learned in the process that I couldn't unlearn. It's like I saw the light. I couldn't unsee the light. So I figured if eating vegan plant-based is a great way to uh, help heal and reverse cancer, it's also an excellent way just to prevent it. So why don't I live my life in a way uh, to prevent these diseases from happening in the first place, because the healing process is really grueling. I don't know if you've ever witnessed anybody going through chemo, but it is, it is really intense. So 
um, that's kind of how I started. And it, you know, it was slow. I cut out one thing and then I cut out the next thing. And then I hung out on the vegetarian ledge for a couple of years. I wasn't ready to give up the cheese. Uh, but then, yeah. And then I did OD on cheese, uh, one time and (laughs) made myself very sick. Uh, eating too much cheese in July is not a good combo wine and cheese and the hot California sun. So, um, that's it. And then I never looked back. I've been vegan for nine years now. Mm, and then, and that's, that's interesting because it's like, the reason we do this, ask this question is because there's a lot of people on some phase of their journey, whether they're future vegans or non-vegans, as other people call them, are they're just getting the information. It's good to know, like, so people that you look at and they're like, oh, it's probably so easy for them or, oh, they probably just decided one day. It's like every story is unique. And I want to thank you for sharing that. And um, so after you decided to go vegan, what was the next, what happened after that? Did you, like, first of all, let's give us a little bit of background on yourself. Like, what were you doing around this time and how did veganism impact that? Well, for me, it was kind of a mini crisis, to be honest. I had been to the Cordon Bleu and I had studied the culinary arts um, for this really reputable French school, the Cordon Bleu, and and there was nothing about veganism happening there. Um, And I didn't go into the profession as a chef right away, but I was an avid foodie and I was here in the Los Angeles food scene and I was very active. I was the one that when you landed in LA and you wanted a hit list about restaurant openings, where to go, what dish, who's the chef, I knew all of it. And that is how I kind of plugged myself in socially. So for me, I had a little bit of identity crisis at first where I was like, well, who am I now? Like I'm a, I'm a food, like who am I? And even though I had gone to culinary school and had all this education, it's like the word vegan, like threw a ball in the machine of my brain. And like, I couldn't figure out what to eat at first. I remember sitting down, I had a boyfriend at the time and I, I put some tomatoes in a bowl. They weren't even cut. Like I, it was, it just didn't even make sense. You know, it's just that word made my brain just like be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, so I kind of freaked out at first. Um, and at that time too, I was really into fitness and um, a way that I trained at the time or always slimmed down or shredded, uh, was to go on a really high, uh, animal protein diet where I would, um, deplete my diet of all carbohydrates and I would eat animal protein, you know, every three hours throughout the day with small, maybe small sides of vegetables. So I also was like, well, how do you lean out as a vegan? Like I didn't understand any of that. And I didn't really understand what I was going to put on the plate where I was putting my, um, my animal protein at the time. I, what, how do I fill that spot? And at first I think this is common. It it got filled with carbohydrates, you know, pasta went in that spot. I mean, something I was trying to figure it out. So, I mean, I was, uh, I kind of came into veganism primarily for health and found myself a little bit pudgy at first uh, and, and really already learned enough that I felt really convicted in my heart and my mind about converting this lifestyle. But it was pretty obvious that I was doing it incorrectly at first. And um, uh, s- something happened. One of my, you know, I, I mentioned my grandma and cancer, and that's been a part of my story. One of my close girlfriends, she had a baby that got diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma around this time when I was converting to veganism. And that's a very rare type of cancer that only affects uh, small children. 
and infants. And um, I'm O positive, which is the same blood type as this little girl. And um, if she was needing blood donated all the time, and if I could donate to her, my blood would go directly into that child to help her healing. And so I went down to the hospital to do so. And when they checked my blood levels, my iron was low. And I was really, I cried. I was very upset because I really want to help this little girl. And I got so determined though, because I'm not, I'm not, an, I don't take no for an answer type of person. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just educate myself and figure out how to get my blood right. And I, I looked up like the blood type diet and I was learning all about O blood type. And you know, what it said was O blood type um, is, a, is a blood type that needs high iron, high fat, but they don't really do well with a lot of grains and carbohydrates, which is exactly what I was doing at the time. So I switched my diet and I made a promise that in 10 days, I was going to go donate blood to that baby girl. And I switched everything. I mean, I went, I went to the grocery store. I got, I got dark greens. I got collard greens. I learned about the importance of lentils. I, I got raw nuts. I got avocados. I started eating specifically for my blood. And at the end of the 10 days, I felt amazing. Like I, I finally felt like veganism, like I hit my stride and I was like, I'm doing it the right way for my body now. And I felt so energetic. The dark circles under my eyes kind of dissipated. I felt really alive. I went down to the hospital to check my blood levels. They couldn't believe I was vegan because my iron was so amazing. And they could not believe that I got turned away just 10 days earlier. And I was able to donate blood for her then for the rest of her healing journey. So that was a huge piece for me, just being motivated by her. And, and you know, that's, that's amazing. And also you touched on something that I don't hear brought up enough is you know, making sure that we're healthy, you know, mm -hmm. as vegans, you know, not to say that there aren't deficiencies for people who eat, but ultimately, you know, we're, especially if we're an advocate and we're talking about veganism to other people, it's like making sure we're checking, you know, our blood level, sure we're getting all the proper nutrients and what have you. But what I want to go into, and you gave me a, a perfect segue, is you have a cookbook. And the cookbook kind of touches on a little bit of what you were talking about. So do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So this is the Vegan Ketogenic Diet book. And I, I co-authored this with my girlfriend, uh, Whitney Lawrenson, uh, who's an incredible uh, vegan and eco-friendly influencer. And I'm the chef, so I wrote all the recipes. And this is an amazing book. There's 75 recipes in here. Um, if you want to eat um, vegan ketogenic, this is great. And also it's great just to take recipes out of this and mix it with your normal diet. Uh, if you want some options that are lower in carbs. Um, and uh, it's a great way to eat if you are trying to reverse disease, Alzheimer's, cancer, um, any disease that's caused by inflammation in the body, hypertension, high blood pressure. This is an incredible way to visit plant-based plant -based foods and to eat in a way that will reverse that very quickly. And this is also a great choice for athletes. Um, a lot of athletes have adapted this way of eating because um, the inflammation in the body is down so low that they're able to train harder and recover faster. And they're able to take care of the nutrients by doing it plant-based instead of the traditional ketogenic dieting, uh, which is super heavy in animal proteins and, and, and all kinds of stuff that has adverse effects. Um, so by doing it just all with plants, you don't have any of the negative uh, effects and, and you can really thrive and you can really train super hard and recover quickly. 
So I think it, you know, it was really fun to write, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, we're proud of it. It's, uh, it's on Amazon, it's at Barnes and Noble. I think it's on Target online. And it's just really felt good to let people know that there's an option for athletes or people that are trying to um, streamline their body a little bit, or they're trying to get any sort of disease under control, like that there's an option that's really fun and delicious and not overly complicated. Uh, we try to keep it as simple as possible. So yeah, it's great. And, and what would be the main differences between a vegan ketogenic diet and a regular ketogenic diet for people who may not be familiar with the phrase? Sure. So regular ketogenic, um, you know, it, it's talking about a really low carbohydrate diet where your body is now transitioning and primarily burning fats for fuel. And um, that puts your body in a state where it burns any stored fat and it also reduces inflammation in the body. So um, when that's done in a non-vegan way, sometimes we could see people eating really heavy, a lot of meat and, you know, a lot of chicken, poultry, a a lot of different meat proteins. Um, And and it can get really intense and we don't see them uh, really acknowledging that there's vegetables that you can do that. So the diet can become super unbalanced just because it doesn't allow, it doesn't really allow for very many vegetables or anything like that. Um, and then doing it uh, vegan, vegan ketogenic uh, is without animal products altogether, focusing on, um, you know, vegetables that have a lower glycemic index, you know, and even there's fruit too, you know, there's berries, those are low glycemic fruits that are really rich in antioxidants and great for the body. And so all of these things have a ton of nutrients in it too. And, you know, we didn't need to eat steak to get iron. And in fact, it's actually really difficult to observe, absorb the iron from steak because the body does not absorb iron unless it's piggybacked with vitamin C. And nature is so smart that all the plant sources of iron, most of them have vitamin C already built into the plant. Like spinach, for example, has a lot of vitamin C already in the leaf. So that way, when you consume iron from spinach, you're, it's bioavailable. The body can absorb it right away. So um, that's kind of cool. Oh, I didn't know that about um, the vitamin C part of it. Um, yeah. And so these people that eat steak for iron, it's hilarious because I've never seen any of them chug a glass of orange juice afterwards. So I'm like, how are you going to absorb that, boo? Like, <laughs> how did you absorb it? You didn't. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So that's, that's, I mean, it's these little tidbits that you pick up when you start having these conversations. That's one of the big things. One of the things I love about this podcast is you learn so much from all these different people. And one of the big things is causes, you know, like why that's another big reason why people, you know, when they go into veganism, there's so many different aspects of it. Ultimately, you know, it's, you know, being advocates for the animals, looking out for the animals, even if it's just the way you change your diet. But there are other causes that are out there because a big part of veganism is compassion. It's like you could be for the animals, you could be for your health, you could be this, this, this. And it's also how you carry yourself in that. It's like, are you being in such a way that the person that you're talking to is getting the message through your beingness? And so the reason I'm saying that is because that bleeds over into different causes, you know, that (laughs) impact people within the community. So I'm saying all this, you listeners, there's, I'm getting, I have a point <laughs> for you have an amazing organization that you're involved in. And I would love for us to spend the majority of the time for this podcast to talk oh. about this organization. So could you tell us a little bit more about the Martha Project? Yeah. So the Martha Project 
is my little Martha Project mug. <laughs> the Martha Project is named after my grandma, the one that inspired me to be vegan. Her name was Martha Ann. And, um, you know, she, although she was not vegan in her life, she uh, really had a beautiful heart and she really believed in taking care of your neighbor, and taking care of each other. And she was always expressing her love through food. And, you know, I had, I started the organization two years ago. It'll be two years on Thanksgiving since we started the Martha Project. And the Martha Project is a non nonprofit organization that feeds uh, entirely vegan plant-based meals to the houseless community. Um, and all these meals are non-processed, they're home-cooked, they're nutritionally balanced, and they're really healthy. And we, we have a standard of only feeding meals that we would be really proud like I would be very proud to serve my grandma or somebody that I loved in the highest regard. And um, the meals are also, they are, they are hand delivered directly to the encampments. A lot of people experiencing houselessness uh, have, um, you, some, sometimes they have mobility issues or, you know, they're not plugged in. Maybe they don't have access to um, a cell phone or the internet to figure out where these handouts are happening. Um, so we, we go and deliver directly to the encampment. Um, we bring it right to their to their feet, basically. And um, one of the things that had really motivated me is that I have volunteered my time for other organizations uh, in town. And, you know, I had already been vegan for a couple years and I still wanted to donate and give back. But every time I did, it felt like such a compromise of my values because we were not feeding these people um, plant-based foods. And in fact, I, I didn't even think that we were feeding them in a lot of cases food that was nutritious. It was highly processed yellow and brown foods um, that probably none of us would feel comfortable eating uh, because they were highly toxic. And I wanted to challenge myself to see if I could do this in a way that could give more dignity to the people that we were serving, to treat them with the love and respect that we would treat a family member, also in a way that is much kinder to the planet and obviously kinder to the animals. And so that's, that's why the Martha Project was born. And at the beginning, at the, the beginning of you creating the Martha Project, how did you decide that you wanted to address um, the houseless crisis and this crisis that we have currently country? Well, something that really touched me, um, you know, it, it, it has always tugged on my heart. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of veganism in a way before you become vegan. There are some harsh truths about eating animals that we don't want to see, right? We don't want to see inside um, the butcher shop or the facilities, right? We don't want to think about where it comes from. We want to turn a blind eye. And a lot of times we don't want to think about houselessness because it's dark and it's pretty. It brings up fear in ourselves. So when we pass a houseless person, we kind of, we kind of look the other way. And that's actually one of the most painful things that the houseless community is dealing with is uh, being othered by society, being treated other than. Um, and, and that creates a dehumanizing effect that over time really wears on a soul. And it is one of the things that makes it very difficult to get back into housed society um, because your self-worth takes a big hit over time. But I think I had kind of observed that and I... You know, I had been here in L.A. struggling as an artist and a chef, private chef, starting my catering business and stuff. So, you know, there were months where it felt very uh, 
scary for me if I was going to make it or not. So I understood the pressure and the fear of having that nip on your heels. But I always felt so grateful that, um, you know, I had lots of friends and family around to support me should, should I need it. Um, and another thing that like really pulled on me though, was, um, you know, one of, one of the really big causes of houselessness and there's many faces of houselessness, you know, sometimes, um, that can happen, uh, you know, for a refugee or, you know, somebody has an injury and sometimes it is the stereotypical things that most people think like addiction. And, um, you know, I recently watched a really great documentary called The Wisdom of Trauma and talking about how the trauma that we experience is the cause of addiction. And I have survived a lot of trauma in my life, many, many, many more than people would ever assume just by looking at my face or, or um, how I'm doing now. And I am so grateful that in, I understand that there's a human capacity for pain, right? And once we reach that threshold for pain tolerance, you will grab anything that is around to soothe that because the human capacity for pain has a tap out. That's why we're able to, I mean, this is dark, but that's why we're able to torture people and get the truth, right? Because mm -hmm. there's a tap out point for pain. And I'm so grateful that when I tapped out, the resources around me that caused soothing for me was somebody suggested yoga, someone suggested meditation. That is by the grace of God, the universe, whatever. That is a miracle for other people. That wasn't what was suggested to them. It was, you know, a drug or a bottle or something. And and, and there's no difference between me and them. It's just that when they when they reached their pain threshold, there was an unhealthy solution versus a healthy one. And 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 I have so much compassion when I see houseless people. I see how easily that could have been how easily that could have been me or any of us really. And I recognize that they're human just like me and you. And I, and they want love just like me and you, and there's zero difference. And it's the same thing that we talk about veganism. There's zero difference between us and animals. You know, they don't want to suffer pain either, you know? And um, yeah, I think that really tugged on my heart and made me want to, want to do something to help. And and when you are, you know, working with the this population that's out there, and it's 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 sobering in the sense that there's so many people that are one layoff away, or one you know emergency in the hospital away from not being able to afford the rent. You know, and yes. it's like, and and it's something interesting you said earlier. It's like you turn your you turn your face this way, and I think on a subconscious level, especially if you're like right on that line, you know, you don't want to look at that as an alternative, and you don't want to see it staring. It's almost like a mirror staring you in your face. But at the same time, easy to forget, like you're saying that these are human beings, you know, dealing with an experience, and you know, obviously that experience is uniquely theirs, but we have the ability to, you know, at least not contribute to what they're going through by treating them like they don't even exist. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's great that there's this intersection between veganism and the houseless um, community so that you can be providing these foods. You can be, 
you know, sharing nutrition and health because, you know, it's a cliche health as well, but it's like being able to support in that respect, I think is pretty cool. So question I have for you is when you're out there and the organization is out there, what has been the response? Because I'm assuming that it's, you know, can't just, me being a listener, can't just assume everyone's like, oh, I'm so grateful for anything. I know humans are humans. So it's like, what have been some of the responses that you've received um, in yeah. over the year? Well, the majority of it has been super positive. And you're right. You know, just just because you're experiencing houselessness doesn't mean like, oh, I just take anything that I can get, you know. And um, they're humans with real preferences and real opinions and, um, and real sovereignty over their own body, right? But um, for the most part... Um, you know, the Martha Project is not a vegan evangelistic team. You know, we don't preach veganism to people um, because we understand how naive that would be to preach to somebody who doesn't know when their next meal is going to be and, and to give them a moral dilemma. Um, so we don't we don't take that approach. Um, but we will mention sometimes that it's plant based if we're asked. But we always mention that it is, um, you know, this is a home cooked meal made from love. And, you know, it's very nutritious. and we we. We don't make any like mock meats or anything like that. So um, it's nothing that it seems bizarre, outlandish to people. But sometimes when when we are specifically asked, is it vegan? Um, we're really happy to share that it is. Um, you know, and it, it's not a secret that it's vegan, but we don't want to put an idea. Some people may have preconceived ideas about what that means or what that tastes like. And we don't want to get in the way of anybody enjoying a really nutritious meal. So we don't. We don't do that just to not trigger any stigmatisms. Um, but we found that actually we are more often than not asked if at least it's dairy-free or asked if it is vegan because a lot of times uh, the houseless community has received food that is rotting or that is going bad. And if that is an animal product um, that has gone bad, if they are served unhealthy meat or dairy that is, is going off a little bit, um, you know, what might be something simple for um, somebody in house society uh, to overcome like food poisoning could mean death for somebody on the street because they don't have access to medical attention. They can become dehydrated alone in their tents and they could wither away. We have heard stories of people um, passing on just because of something simple for you and I, like, you know, getting food poisoning. So they're asking if it's vegan for safety sometimes. And- Wow. Um, and and it's, it's while you're saying that one thing that always pops up and I always forget until I come out in the out in the field talking to people um, are, are allergies and, and food sensitivities. And I'm seeing a lot more people turn to plant based diets because they're lactose intolerance or they have um, celiac or gluten sensitivity. Food. Yes. Yeah. You know, so those are, you know, that's a very interesting because I'm sure there's people in the houses population that are the same way. So, you know, the reverse of the the question I asked you, you probably might have a few people like, oh, it's like what you said. Does it have dairy or does it have this or does it have that? Because they don't want to get sick. They don't. Want, it's not like, oh, I, it's my preference and I love I prefer this. But it's like, no, I'm going to get sick if I eat this. So it's good that at least there's a couple box check with the plant based diet. This by deep. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I'm I've been looking at this whole interview. There's this mug on the table right now. Is it yeah. 
You want to tell us a little bit about that or are you kind of like how that plays into the advocacy yeah. you're doing? Yeah, so the Martha Project has a, a little bit of swag. We've got we got these coffee mugs and, and um, we have two designs of coffee mugs. It's just one and also refillable water uh, flasks. And um, every time you purchase one of these, uh, it will buy a meal for four people in need. So um, we are really promoting giving the gift of giving. So if you would like to, you know, gift it for yourself or give a gift to somebody else that actually gives back, it's a gift you can feel good about. Um, the mugs are cute. There's this one and then our other design says make compassion cool again. Um, and we really like that. It has a couple of fruits and vegetables and the water bottles are great too, because you can reduce your plastic um, use by having a refillable water bottle and also know that your purchase of that goes to help feed people in need here. So, um, yeah, that's what's up. Those are on the website. You can just click, click, add them to your bag. You can become a monthly donor if you want. You could do a one-time donation. Um, so we have options if you do want to support uh, this project. And what is the website? It's the marthaproject.org. So you started this in early 2000, 2020, correct? Yes, that's so correct. So how did the how did the pandemic play a role in in just the growth of what you're creating? Because I'm sure that it created some unforeseen um, roadblocks. Well, it, it did, and it also really ramped up our efforts personally. Like um, we were very lucky early on, early pandemic, before anyone even had masks or anything in LA. Um, and, and by anybody, I mean anybody in the houseless community really had those protective garments. We had a doctor and a nurse come on to the volunteer staff. And, um, you know, during this time, everybody was very afraid of the virus. And um, a lot of uh, programs that were serving the houseless community really peeled back because they were the most at-risk community. They didn't have access to wash their hands or masks or to shelter in place. So people were scared and we saw a lot of resources pulling back and that really pushed me to push, push harder and to go harder because I knew they were out there and I knew that they weren't being served at the capacity that they were before the pandemic. And so luckily we had a doctor and a nurse come on and really teach our volunteer team about safety, scrub down protocol. They were able to donate masks for us to actually hand out. And we were some of the first people that were able to give masks to the houseless community. Um, we were giving gloves and proper medical gear and taught how to serve them properly without spreading infection, you know, potentially from one encampment to a next. Because that was another risk about serving them. We, we didn't want to harm them in our effort to, to, to help, right? Um, and and we, we ramped up you know, we, we like basically doubled our efforts towards um, most of the really thick pandemic and started serving twice as often and twice as much. So for us, it was really, um, really motivating. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. It's like a, like a huge right turn that I just made, right. I'm making right now, but um, you're in California and, yes. you know, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, correct? Yes. Okay. So this is a huge area, lots of opportunity, um, big pond, you know, you know, a lot of small fishes. What had the, how has living in Los Angeles impacted your ability to 
be a private chef and do all the things that you're doing, get into some cool projects? Like, what are some things that you've been able to do um, as as a result of being in like one of the coolest places in the world? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been amazing because people in LA are pretty open to veganism. Even if they're not a full-time vegan, they love eating vegan food. They kind of think about it as a cuisine, you know, maybe they want Ethiopian one night, maybe one night they want vegan. So people love this. And this is really celebrated um, at high-end parties and events. So I think for me as a vegan caterer, and not having a lot of other competition of vegan caterers that have also had the benefit of being trained uh, formally at Cordon Bleu, um, I kind of had a really nice competitive edge. And, you know, I've had amazing opportunities. You know, this project's so new. We had Alicia Silverstone come a few months back nice. in the summer with her son, Bear. And we've had access to incredible vegan advocates. Um, Moby, who's a, um, also semi-famous vegan. I was able to conceptualize a menu for him for his uh, restaurant, Little Pine, a few years back. And that was great. Um, Natalie Portman, who's also another famous vegan, uh, her her son has a lot of allergies. And I was able to do some special cupcakes for him and his birthday. So um, it's just nice because that star power is here. And there is a lot of Hollywood elite uh, that really embrace this lifestyle, whether publicly or privately. And it is really a go-to for some of these like high-end parties because it's something that is inclusive. I mean, everybody can can eat it. Most everybody can eat it because, you know, I, I, and especially the way I cook, I, I eliminate gluten. So it's plant-based plus gluten-free. So anybody that has a dairy allergy, anybody that has a gluten allergy. So it, it really helps. It really helps a lot. And it's been fun to be here, you know, um, it's been really fun. <laughs> we have great <laughs> so- farmer's markets too. So it's good. Any any projects that you want to talk about um, outside of the Martha project that 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 you have coming up? Yeah, I have a couple of exciting things. Um, so the Martha project is going to go to Detroit, Michigan, uh, in December, and I will be collaborating with a restaurant called Frame. And Frame allows celebrity chefs to come do takeovers. And um, this time it's going to be a vegan takeover with me, Chef Nicole, and we're going to do a five course tasting menu where um, in December, it's going to be buy one, give one. So for everybody that purchases um, a tasting menu experience over the course of the three-day weekend, which we'll be um, doing two seatings a night, um, this is going to be really high-end plated vegan food. And it's going to be um, a li- little mind-blowing. I'm really excited about the menu. But for every meal that's purchased, um, you know, there will be a meal provided for um, somebody in need in Detroit. So we're really excited about that collaboration. Um, and also, uh, uh, I'm not allowed to talk about the network or anything, but I'm going to be, uh, competing in January, uh, a chef showdown in, uh, Vegas. And the winner is going to be able to make a donation to the charity of their choice. And since I have the Martha project, I can make a donation if I win to the Martha project. Um, but I'll update you when I'm allowed to say uh, what it is and how to see it. I will. And I really hope I win because. I know the other chefs, they have causes that they really care about, but it's not their own thing. So I would just love to like bring a win home uh, to the Martha Project. So so those those two things are pretty exciting coming up. And the last thing that I always love to do on this episode, on, these, on the show rather, is to give our guests the final word. Like anything that's on your heart, maybe it's something we didn't touch on, maybe you want something you want to go more into detail with. This is your floor, and then once you're done, 
that's the end of the podcast. So um, yeah, I'm going to yield the floor to you and speak directly to our community. Okay. Okay. So this is, this is deep, but I was able to say this actually um, when Rachel Ray interviewed me earlier this year. Um, I, I spoke about how so sometimes people think houselessness may be not a vegan issue. But really, houselessness is a vegan issue because unless a person has sovereignty over their choices um, and is stable enough to make choices uh, about what they can eat, then they're going to be stuck choosing whatever is available to them. And so that's why there is a really vested interest. And and also an understanding that, um, you know, with the environmental issues and everything that's happening, the best way... Uh, to help reverse those environmental stressors is is to chill out with the factory farming and, and um, industrial meat uh, production and and feed people plant based diet is the most sustainable way for our society to function. Um, but the deeper thing that I talked about is uh, interconnectivity, right? I believe that we are all interconnected and that we all affect one another. And that there is this idea of separation, but there really is no such thing as separation. You are me and I am you and we affect each other. And because of that, I believe that we're not okay until we're all okay. Um, and yeah, if you can face your own shadow, your own fears that come up around um, anything, whether it's how animals are treated or the way humans are treated, and you can be brave enough to look at that and to give it love, even if you don't have a physical offering, but if you can just give it love and um, compassion, then I think that that's one step closer to healing the world and making this a better place. You are listening to the SoFlow Vegans podcast with Sean Russell. If you gain weight from too much chow, I will never call you a cow. I respect you and cows. Don't use cow as an insult. If you eat every single fig, I will never call you a pig. I respect you and pigs. Don't use pig as an insult. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never use the name of an animal as an insult for a human. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never use the name of an animal as an insult for a human. If you avoid thoughts that are deep, I will never call you a sheep. I respect you and sheep. Don't use sheep as an insult. If you get scared and your pulse quickens, I will never call you a chicken. I respect you and chickens. Don't use chicken as an insult. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never use the name of an animal as an insult for a human. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never use the name of an animal as an insult for a human. If you're disloyal and we have a spat, I will never call you a rat. I respect you and rats. Don't use rat as an insult. If you check out women while out for a jog, I will never call you a dog. I respect you and dogs. Don't use dog as an insult. 
If you complain that we're not rich, I will never call you a bitch. I respect you and female dogs. Don't use bitch as an insult. If you tell a lie and make my trust break, I will never call you a snake. I respect you and snakes. Don't use snake as an insult. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never use the name of an animal as an insult for a human. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never use the name of an animal as an insult for a human. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never use the name of an animal as an insult for a human. Animals are innocent. Don't be speciesist. Never use the name of an animal as an insult for a human. And... That does it for season seven. And what a season it was. Had a lot of great conversations, more conversations to come. So I want to thank all of our past guests, not even just from season seven, but from all of the seasons of the SoFlow Vegans podcast. This, and of course, Nicole Dursway, Chef Nicole Dursway, who joined us on this episode. But this isn't just the end of season seven. This is a departure. Going into season eight, we're going to be doing some new things and experimenting with some cool segments and a lot of things that we've never done on the show before. And we definitely want to hear from you guys who have been longtime listeners. We want you to be more vocal in this new up and coming season. I actually want to hear your voices. I want your questions, your comments. There may be some struggles that you've been going through. I really want season eight and forward to reflect the actual community. So maybe we want to talk about a hot topic that's happening in the space. All of that and more is what you can expect from season eight. So stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed. You let everybody know. And yeah, we're excited for it. And if you want to support SoFlow Vegans, want to see what we've got going on because it's not just the podcast we make videos we do events we have a magazine that just launched the soflow vegan digest a lot of things happening within our community and you can stay tuned and stay locked in by going to soflowvegans.com support to find out what's going on you don't have to wait for new episodes of the podcast to come out to stay locked in with what we're doing so for myself and everyone who supports SoFlow Vegans, our partners, our collaborators, everybody, thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for season eight. Because guess what? Season eight also be video podcast. Yes, not just the video interviews, but the whole shebang be video. And you'll still have the audio version that you're listening to now. But yeah, a lot of exciting things for season eight. It might be a little bit of a hiatus between season, this episode and season eight. Don't worry. We are working hard to make sure our shows are bigger, badder, and bolder. So see you guys real soon. Today's episode was produced and edited by Sean Russell. To become a sponsor, please visit soflowvegans.com slash promo for more details.